Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Reaching out his hand, Jesus touched him, saying, I am willing, be made clean. Immediately, his leprosy was cleansed. Then Jesus told him, see that you don't tell anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer the gift that Moses commanded as a testimony to them. When he entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him, pleading with him, Lord, my servant is lying at home paralyzed in terrible agony. He said to him, am I to come and heal him? Lord, the centurion replied, I am not worthy to have you come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I too am a man under authority, having soldiers under my command. I say to this one, go, and he goes. And to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. Hearing this, Jesus was amazed and said to those following him, Truly I tell you, I have not found anyone in Israel with so great a faith. I tell you that many will come from east and west to share the banquet with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into the outer darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then Jesus told the centurion, Go, as you have believed, let it be done for you. And his servant was healed that very moment. Jesus went into Peter's house and saw his mother-in-law lying in bed with a fever. So he touched her hand, and the fever left her. Then she got up and began to serve him. When evening came, they brought to him many who were demon-possessed. He drove out the spirits with a word and healed all who were sick, so that what was spoken through the prophet of Isaiah might be fulfilled. He himself took our weaknesses and carried our diseases. The word of the Lord. Thank you, Lori. Good morning, everyone. My name is Eric. I'm one of the pastors here at Trinity, and we are beginning a brand new series. You may have been able to tell if you've been with us by the new bulletin cover, but it's in the Gospel of Matthew. Over my two and a half years here at Trinity, we have covered chapters one through seven in, in the Gospel of Matthew. I know not all of you have been with us uh, for one through seven, but for me, this is kind of a return and jumping back in here in chapter 8. Um, chapter 8 is right after Jesus' most famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount. That covers uh, Matthew 5 through 7. And so 8 is right after Jesus finishes his teaching on the mountain. He comes down and what we just read is what happened. The Gospel of Matthew, like the other three Gospels, is all about the life and the death, and the ministry, and the resurrection of Jesus. Last week, of course, was, was Easter. Easter is, is the high point. It's the, the great uh, grand finale of the story of Jesus. One of the things I love about the Gospel of Matthew, personally, is that out of all the four Gospels, if I had to pick my favorite ending the one that I think is the strongest, the one that I think that is the most clear and powerful and dramatic, I would pick the Gospel of Matthew. If you're a little bit familiar with how the Gospels end, the different Gospels, I would characterize them like this. Um, 
The Gospel of Mark ends with a lot of intrigue. If, if you look at the ending there in Mark, you're left with this question. Is it really true? Could it really be true that Jesus rose? The Gospel of Luke ends with anticipation. He says, well, wait for what's next. The Gospel of John, uh, very characteristic of the entire Gospel, ends very personally with Jesus' words to John uh, specifically and individually. But Matthew's ending is the kind of ending that makes sense of the entire story. He's wrapping up all the, the loose ends. He's tying them together in one theme. Now, I, I love Matthew's ending because I love an ending like this to a story, an ending that answers all the questions, that ties up all the loose ends, that makes sense of everything, an ending that you can look at and you, you hear the ending, you experience the grand finale, and then you can go back and go, oh, now this is making sense. Now these pieces of the story are falling into place. Um, is the other Pastor Eric still here? Where is he? He's teaching. Oh, man, I had something to tell him. And that is, don't spoil the ending for Avengers Endgame for any of us. A lot of us are waiting for it, me, myself included. I love a big ending. I hear it's awesome, and I can't wait. But nobody spoil it for anyone, okay? Let's love each other in this. The end of Matthew, Matthew is saying, here's the end game with Jesus. Here are the final words in his gospel. If you have a Bible, you can turn there and you can read these words along with me. This, this final words. Jesus came near. He said to them, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything that I have commanded. And surely I am with you until the end of the age. That's a strong ending. Jesus Okay, you are risen. Now what? He says, I have absolute authority over everything and everyone. And here's the mission. Go make disciples. Go make followers of everyone everywhere. Baptize them. Give them a whole new identity in life, a new name, and teach them this. To observe, to obey everything I have commanded. Wow. That is an ending. Matthew wrote his entire gospel in such a way to bring us to this ending so that we would hear that and so that we would be able to respond, yes. Look at that ending if it's in front of you. That, no one has ever said anything like that. What human being says something like that? Who in history has ever dared to say something so comprehensive, complete, and total? To make a claim, to make a demand, follow me. Do everything I command. So that's, that's all by way of introduction to this new series. We're going to be in this series probably for about 12 weeks. The series is a question. Why follow Jesus? Why would anyone say yes to that grand finale? Follow me with everything. Obey everything I've commanded you. Matthew is written in such a way that we would not only say, 
okay, I think I'll do that. It's written in such a way that we would say, yes, why would I do anything else with my life? Why follow Jesus? This is a question followers of Jesus, we need to return to that often. We sometimes question and resist and doubt Jesus' authority. Often our obedience is incomplete and partial. We need to be reminded and encouraged. We need to revisit the question, why follow Jesus? This is an important question also for those who still have questions and reservations about following Jesus. You're probably asking why. Why would I do that? To respond to such a comprehensive demand, you need to be persuaded and convinced, and your doubts need to be addressed. If that's you, I'm so glad that you're here. I hope what we have to say is helpful over the next 10 or 12 weeks. So we begin in Matthew 8, three stories of healing, back to back to back. The beginning of Jesus' public ministry, together they start to answer the question, why follow Jesus? The answer that they give us is because Jesus welcomes the outsider. Jesus welcomes the outsider. It made me think, um, as I was reflecting on, on this, uh, this series, the series of stories about an image, an image came to mind, and that is this, this, uh, this set of chapters, the beginning of Jesus' public ministry. It's kind of like a welcome mat. You have a welcome mat out front in your door. It's the first thing people see before they enter into your home. And here's Jesus' welcome mat. It's his public ministry. It's beginning, and usually you would like to have a nice message at, at your front door. Welcome. We're glad you're here. That sort of thing. Well, this week I found a few... Um, alternate welcome mats. I wanted to share a few of those that I found, and I'll explain why I want to share those in a moment. You could buy this one. You don't want any guests. Not welcome, not welcome. Or you could get, here's another one. This is my favorite. There is no reason for you to be here. Go away. And the scariest one I found this week, strangers not welcome with bloody scratch marks in the middle. My kids want me to get that one, especially the second one. The reason I share that is because I found, uh, just up front here, I wanted to lay this out. I found this ironic. I found this very challenging. And I want to lay this out in, in, a, in a slide for you. And that's this. If you were to ask today, people who are not followers of Jesus, some of you here may not be followers of Jesus, what's your biggest issue with Christianity? Why don't you answer the question, why follow Jesus with yes? Many would say it's because of Christians' attitude towards outsiders, those who are not Christians, right? If you can read that list, there's fear. Christians are so guarded. They're intolerant. They're judgmental. People on the outside, we're just of secondary importance to them. They really just care about themselves. Christians tend to put up walls. But what is so ironic is that in Jesus' day, if you ask those who were not followers of Jesus, why follow Jesus? What's your biggest issue with Jesus? Many would have said, same answer, it's his attitude and stance toward outsiders. He's welcoming. He's open. He's always affirming them. He's pursuing them. They're of primary importance to him. 
and he keeps breaking down the walls. Think about that as we look at this text. In this text, there are three things I want to show you. There is a welcome to outsiders, first of all. We'll start with that. There is a welcome to outsiders. There is a warning to insiders. And there's a way in for everyone. In this passage, there are three stories. 1 through 15 tells these stories. And at the end, there's one summary, which we'll get to at the end. But Matthew put these stories together because they're all about the same thing. They're all about how Jesus welcomed those who were considered outsiders into His kingdom and into His healing power. Let's look at these one at a time. First, outsider number one was the leper. He was the physical and the spiritual outsider in the community. Leprosy in the Bible can refer to all kinds of skin conditions and skin diseases. Leprosy was the most isolating disease you could get at this time. You were not just physically afflicted. You were seen as spiritually cursed. And lepers, they had a set of instructions. These are the things that lepers had to do. They had to tear their clothes for the rest of their life, torn clothes, mess up their hair, cover their mouths whenever they were around people, and shout, leper, 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 if anyone came close to them. The thought was that the disease and the uncleanness, the outsiderness could be transmitted just by being close to them or by touch. So lepers were like the living dead, cast out to live alone until they died. The book of Leviticus says this in chapter 13, 45, 46, about a leper. He shall remain unclean as long as he has the disease. He is unclean. He shall live alone. His dwelling shall be outside the camp. You just listen to that, and you hear that and think about it. And you feel the pain of being an outcast. You are unclean. You are alone. You are outside. The ultimate outsider at this time. In verse 1 of chapter 8, Jesus comes down from the mountain. All these crowds are following Him. And this leper just runs up to Jesus. Kneels down before Him. It's the same word in the New Testament for worship. He kneels down in worship and He says, Lord, if You are willing, You can make me clean. Just that little bit of background I gave you shows you how bold of a move this was. He says, I don't care about all that. Maybe, maybe this person can heal me, cure me, and bring me in. He knew enough about Jesus to think that. Even if I break all the laws and the taboos and put people at risk, somehow I know he'll welcome me. And what does Jesus say? He says, I am willing. I want to heal you of this horrible disease. And he reaches out his hand and he touches him. In the very next story, the one we just heard read, we see Jesus can heal without a touch. He doesn't even have to be in the same place as the, the servant of the Roman centurion and he can heal them from afar. He did not have to touch the leper, so why did he? Well, in Leviticus 5... It's actually forbidden 
to touch anyone who was unclean. Why? If you touch anyone who's unclean, it makes you unclean. But here we see it's the reverse with Jesus. Anyone He touches becomes clean. Outsiders are brought in. How long had it been since someone had touched this man? We don't know. It could have been years and years since he had felt human touch. A little bit of a side note. But we should never underestimate the power of loving and appropriate human touch for connection. God became man, took on human flesh in order to touch the untouchable. It's great power. What does Jesus do next? Jesus sends him to the priests. He says, go to the priests, go through the necessary priestly inspections and sacrifices and all that. Why? This was his full entrance back into the community. The priest would look at him, he would give the sacrifice, and he would be pronounced clean. An outsider being brought back in. That's outsider number one, the spiritual, physical outsider. What about outsider number two, the Roman centurion? He was an ethnic outsider. If a leper was the furthest you could get out of the community as a Jewish person, the centurion was the furthest outside you could get as a Gentile, a non-Jewish person. First, he was not Jewish. That was enough for him to be considered unclean. Uh, A devout Jew, a devoted Jew would not go into the house of a non-Jewish person to eat with them. But this man was not only a Gentile, he was a commander of the enemies, the occupier's army. That's what a centurion was, a commander of a hundred soldiers for the Romans. His job in life was to keep the Jewish people subjugated, oppressed. So a devout Jew of the day would say, this guy has no business coming into the presence of God, receiving any of God's blessings. He is not worthy of that. The only thing he is worthy of is is judgment from God. But here he comes. He comes up to Jesus. He's pleading with him. Not just, he's not pleading for himself. He's pleading for his servant, he says, who's lying at home paralyzed in terrible agony and pain. And look, what does Jesus say to him? I think it's in verse 8. Verse 7. He says, am I to come and heal him? There's a question here about how to translate it. Some translations say this is a statement, not a question, where Jesus says, I myself, either way, I is emphatic in the text. I myself will come and heal him. I will go to the outsider. But the centurion says, no, no, no. I am not worthy for you to come to my house. Jesus, just say the word. I'm a Roman commander. I understand how authority works, and I am placing myself under your authority, the authority of your word. And Jesus is amazed, it says, verse 10, and he tells him, go, your servant will be healed. And it says his servant was healed at that very moment. The ethnic outsider is being brought in by Jesus. Outsider number three, there's one more. Just a short story here in verses 14 and 15. It's about Peter's mother-in-law. 
She was a gender outsider. At this time, you may know a little bit of the cultural background, but women were viewed as second-class citizens. Women were far from enjoying equal rights, far from enjoying equal access to God. It was clear if you're a woman, you are an outsider simply because of your gender. This was displayed in the temple. There was the court of Gentiles. Gentiles could not pass through that. And then there was the court of women. Then there was the holy place where only men could enter. In the synagogues at the time, if this was a synagogue, there'd be a screen in the back. In front of the screen would be all the men. In the back of the screen, all the women would worship. So here's verse 14. Jesus goes into Peter's house. He sees his mother-in-law lying in bed with a fever, and so he touched her hand, touching again. And she gets up, and she begins to serve him. Most of the teachers and the rabbis thought it was forbidden to touch a woman in this way, and it was also commonly held and thought that a fever was a sign of being cursed by God. Deuteronomy 28, 22 talks about that. And without the mother-in-law even asking, Jesus moves towards her. He crosses all these lines and he heals her and she starts serving him. So a gender outsider is healed and welcomed in to serve Jesus alongside all his disciples. So three stories, right? Three healings, three outsiders. What's the application for us? Let me, let me share one general application and one very personal application. One general application, this couldn't be any more clear, could it? Jesus brought the most inclusive welcome to outsiders the world has ever seen. He crossed over every spiritual, physical, ethnic, and gender wall in his time. He welcomed, he touched, he healed, he commended, he included those who were considered outcasts, outsiders, second class. Now, in our time, we talk a lot about inclusivity. We talk a lot about tolerance. We talk a lot about acceptance and welcome. And let me just say this. It's one thing to talk about that. It's another thing to do it. And no one did it like Jesus, then or now. For us, we like to, we like to think we're, we're tolerant people, we're exclusive, inclusive, welcoming people. But if I can, if I can just probe a little bit and prick a little bit, uh, for each of us, as, as soon as we find out somebody is not an insider to our particular group or persuasion, maybe we find out somebody has a different political ideology, they have a different theological persuasion, they're from a different economic or social class, or they're outside of our ethnic comfort zone. Is it not true that lines are drawn, suspicion goes up, walls are built, and we struggle to have an openness of welcome? The truth is we are inclusive, except for the people we think are exclusive. We are tolerant, except toward the tolerant. The intolerant, excuse me, and so on. It's one thing to talk about inclusivity. It's a completely different thing to do it. 
And here Jesus, at the, at the beginning of his ministry, he lays out the welcome mat and he says, the outside, those on the outside, the outsiders are welcomed in. That's a general application. It shows us the heart of God. We also need to take this personally. Some of you are drawn to Jesus here, but you stop short of following him of saying you are a follower of Jesus because you feel like you'll never quite meet the standard of being one of His followers, a true follower of Jesus. You'll never be a Christian type of person. Some of you would say, yes, I am a follower of Jesus, but you think you're really never good enough to be on the inside. You feel like there's an invisible line You're on this side of the line, and on the other side of the line are the serious and the real Christians, the people who are really following Jesus. Jesus says to you, there is no line on my side. You are welcome in. It's Jesus' welcome to the outsider. There's a radical welcome here for outsiders. There's also something else. That's a warning for insiders, specifically religious insiders. In verse 10, it says, if you look at that again, it says, Jesus was amazed at the faith of the Roman centurion. It says he was amazed. Some translations say he marveled. Only twice in the Gospels, as Jesus said, to have marveled, to have been amazed and surprised. This is one here, and the other was at the unbelief in his hometown, where it says he wasn't able to do any of these miracles he did here. He wasn't able to do that in his hometown, and he marveled at their unbelief. What amazed Jesus, what surprised Jesus, it was the faith of this outsider and the unbelief of those who knew him the best, those who were the most familiar with Jesus. So Jesus, he, see, he marvels at the Roman centurion, and then he turns to his followers, his disciples, and he says, this is just the beginning of the surprises. Many of those whom you think are outsiders will come inside to share in the feast with the great fathers of the faith. Read this again with me, verses 10 and 11. Jesus heard what the centurion said. He was amazed. He said to those following him, this was a message to his disciples, Truly I tell you, I have not found anyone in Israel with so great a faith. I tell you, many will come from east and west to share the banquet with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But... The sons of the kingdom will be thrown out into the outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Jesus says, there will be a surprise. Many who think they are outsiders will be in. And, he says, there's a warning. Many who think they are in will be out. Matthew Henry, the old Puritan commentator, said this about this text. When we come to heaven, as we shall miss a great many there that we thought had been going there, so we shall meet a great many there that we did not expect. 
Now, the imagery here is intense. It's terrible. Outer darkness, weeping, gnashing of teeth. These are horrible images of being outside of God's eternal kingdom, God's great eternal feast. And what struck me, one commentator said this about Jesus and these kinds of warnings. The warnings of being eternally outside. If you read the Gospels, what you'll find is Jesus' warnings about hell occur in messages to people who believe themselves to be the heirs of the kingdom. Jesus does not preach hell to pagans, but to those who think themselves believers. That's sobering. Why such an intense warning to insiders? Why did Jesus get so intense? He turned to His disciples and said, I have a warning for you. Why? To save us from an insider attitude. To save us from an insider attitude. That's the one thing. When Jesus sees that in the human heart, He says, not welcome. You can't come in. It's an insider attitude. There are really only three attitudes to have towards Jesus and His kingdom. An insider attitude says, of course, I'm in. I expect to be. No surprise there. And Jesus says, if that's what you think, warning. Warning. There's the insider attitude there's an outsider attitude, and there's the attitude of the follower of Jesus. But let's camp out here on the insider attitude first. Two warning signs that we have an insider attitude in our own hearts. I'll put them on the screen here. First is there's comparison and no conviction. Scott Sauls has a great book. He's a pastor in our denomination. It's called Jesus Outside the Lines. And he asks this question in that book. He says, have we grown accustomed to scolding others for certain sins while exempting ourselves from judgment over other sins that we commit daily? He's saying, are you so accustomed? Do you find this tendency in your own life comparing your small little mini sins with the big and terrible and significant sins of everyone else? There's a warning from Jesus. He says, you might have it all backwards. These outsiders, the leper, the centurion, the woman, they are not just pictures of needy and desperate people that we need to care for and reach out to that are out there. Where the insiders say, okay, fine, these people can come into. They are pictures of all of us. That's what Jesus wanted the disciples to see. We are as unclean as a leper. We are as unworthy as the Roman centurion, as sick and unable as Peter's mother-in-law, lying in our bed. Any and all sin renders us unclean, unworthy, and unable. That's the conviction that Jesus is driving home. That's warning sign one, when there's comparison without conviction. A related warning sign is there's presumption and no surprise. Now, what did all three of these outsiders have in common? 
There was no hint of presumption at all in them. The leper came kneeling and he hit the floor. He said, Jesus, if you're willing. The centurion came pleading, I am not worthy. Peter's mother-in-law was just lying down sick in bed. All three of them were hit with the surprise of grace. Now, my Christian friends here, presumption for us is like, it should be like this red, loud, beeping light, this signal that is so annoying that goes off in our soul. We say, if that is happening, I need to pay attention to that. Underneath so much of the places in our life where we say, why follow Jesus? No, I'm not going to follow Jesus in that part of my life. Underneath that often is presumption. We breeze by Jesus' warnings. We say, that's intense. Good thing it doesn't apply to me. That's presumption. Let me share an illustration about this. This week I was um, having lunch with, with somebody from the church and I was driving up into the restaurant and there was the front row parking right there by the storefront. I said, sweet, you know, there's all kinds of parking. I'm going right there. And then it had the dreaded green paint on the curb, right? The green paint is, this is 20-minute parking only. And so I'm like, whatever, I'm just going to pull in. That doesn't apply to me. Exception for me because I'm so important I have to park here in the front. And then I I parked there. There was the green the green strip, I was like, yeah, whatever, green strip. But then there was one sign here and another sign here that said, we will tow you. And we mean business. And I just looked at those signs, those two warning signs, and said, okay, this applies to me. And so I backed out and got, you know, like 10 feet away in the parking spots behind me and said, fine, I will heed that warning. You know, the warnings are there. We might not believe this, but the warnings are there so that they will not tow our car. They would save us from the experience of having our our car towed. Same thing with the warnings of Jesus. They are not there to cast people out, but to draw people in. People who need to hear the warning. Surprise and wonder is the key to following Jesus. The leper in his surprise was told, go obey the law, and he did it. The centurion was told, go, and it will be done for you, and he went. Peter's mother-in-law, she got up and began serving Jesus right away. All pictures of discipleship and obedience. The more regularly surprised that we are, that we are in, the more we will obey, the more we will follow Jesus, the more we will say, why follow Jesus, the more we will say, why wouldn't I? He brought me in. I'll do whatever he says. If an insider attitude says, of course I'm in, I expect to be no surprise. An outsider attitude says, of course I'm out, no surprise, I'll never be good enough. The outsider needs to hear the welcome, come in. The insider needs to hear the warning. A follower of Jesus says, I'm in? Me? Really? I can't believe it. No one is more surprised than me. We sang it already. I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene and wonder how could he love me, a sinner condemned, unclean, an outsider. How marvelous, how wonderful. Stand amazed. 
There is a welcome to outsiders. There is a warning to insiders. They both lead us to the third thing in this text. It's this, this last thing, that gives great assurance to those with an outsider heart who can't believe that they're in. It's this that brings conviction and breaks the pride of the insider heart who would never believe that they're out. Both need to hear the same thing. It's in verses 16 and 17. It's the way in for everyone. Matthew is giving us here at the end, if you look at verse 17, his interpretive summary of the three healing miracles. And really all the other miracles that Jesus did, he says, here's what's going on, big picture. There is the personal touch and the healing love of Jesus in the way that he restored each one of these individuals. But there's also much more going on. These healings, Matthew says, are the fulfillment of what Isaiah the prophet spoke about hundreds of years earlier when he said, verse 17, he himself took our weaknesses and carried our diseases. This is a quote from Isaiah 53, verse 4. Did you notice it doesn't say he himself healed our weaknesses and our disease? So that these, you look at these uh, stories of healing and go, oh, okay, it was prophesied. Somebody was going to come and heal, heal people, and Jesus healed people. Proof. There it is. That's not so much it. It doesn't say he healed our disease and our sickness. It says he took and he carried them. If I say I'm going to take something and carry it, I'm going to take that from you. I'm going to carry it. You say, where are you taking it? Where will you carry it? The answer in Isaiah 53 is that Jesus took and carried these to the cross. Isaiah 53 is known as the chapter of the suffering servant. It describes a servant who will take and carry not only the effects of our sin, our disease, our sickness and death, but will take and carry our sin itself. And all the judgment that it deserves. He will take it and He will carry it. Isaiah 53 says, we've all gone astray like sheep. We've all gone outside. We've all turned our own way. We've chosen to live as outsiders. And now, all of us, collectively and individually, we take and we carry the effects of that choice. One of those is sickness, disease, and death. But Isaiah 53 says, a servant will come. He will be innocent, but he will come and be led away like a lamb to the slaughter. He'll be taken away because of judgment. He'll be cut off from the land of the living. He'll be cast outside. He will be the ultimate outsider so that we can come inside. When someone you love is hurting, this might be happening in your life right now, When someone you love is sick, when someone you love is diagnosed with a disease, with cancer, or is dying, there is something that happens in the heart. Your love for that person wells up. You see them in pain and suffering. And maybe some of you have said this to someone else. You say, I I wish it was me. I want to take your place. But what if this person you love was sick and dying because of their own choices? 
heavy smoker, heavy drinker, ate unhealthy, any number of unhealthy choices which has led to their suffering. We probably, in our love, might still say, I wish it were me. I wish I, I could take your place. But it would be harder for us to do that, wouldn't it? The gospel is this. Though we have all said to God, I'm going outside. And we have heaped and taken. And we all carry the consequences of that choice. God says to us in Jesus, I wish it were me. I will take your place. This is the only way in for everyone. We are all unclean, unworthy, unable. Jesus, the insider, became the ultimate outsider so we could come in. So we can hear, friends, the loving welcome of Jesus. It's all by grace that you get in. If you feel like you can't get across the line, Jesus says, stop looking at yourself and look to me. Look to me and come in. We can hear the loving warning of Jesus. It's only by grace that you get in. Stop looking to yourself. Your goodness will never be enough. Look to me. Look to me and come in. Come kneeling, come pleading, come lying down. Jesus says, whatever it is, I'll take you. I'll carry you, and we will all be surprised at the unending love of our Savior who brought us all in. He's taken our place so we can have His. Amen. Let's pray. Jesus, as we hear your welcome, as we hear your warning, I pray you would bring it home to the hearts that need to hear it the most. Jesus, May we all be amazed and surprised once again that this is who you are, a God who welcomes the outsiders in and the one who loves those of us who struggle with this insider pride attitude so much that you would warn us and break us so that we would kneel so that we would come pleading, so that we would see we are unable and we would receive the grace we need. Encourage us, surprise us, amaze us, and turn us into people like you, whose hearts, whose lives, whose, whose communities, whose families open up the doors wide so that others might taste and be surprised at your grace. We pray it in your name. Amen.